0: Shall we? Well, conversation. Yes. Shall I, we converse? I, this is not how normal people actually converse, <laughs> Josh. <laughs> one, one does not sit down and asks, "Shall we converse Shall we now converse? at this moment?" Yes. Now that would be quite. Uh, that would be quite. I'm odd. giving your podcast character, Zach. My podcast, yes. Um, no. So one of the things that you and I discuss rather often, I think, would be called in the category of. Coaching pedagogy, perhaps. Are we, we
1: going to have an intro? No, no intro. No intro. Just right in. No, we're going
0: right in. So this we're is going, how it's gonna going to. We're going headfirst into the conversation, into the abyss, <laughs> uh, <laughs> into the void, into
1: Conversation Street.
0: <laughs> I will punch you in the face. um <laughs> Please, please. That's how
1: to treat a guest. Uh, you're not my guest. I'm a guest. <laughs> you, <laughs> you invited <laughs> me on. It's your show. I'm the guest.
0: Yeah, whatever. <laughs> okay. So, you know, one of the things that you and I talk about relatively often, I think, is a, a number of different points in, like, professional and personal development. Yes. You know, if, if one were to look at uh, your bookshelf, it would be quite difficult to discern it from my own collection of books in many cases, with the exception of a few market examples. <laughs> um, but of the Christian sort, of the Christian v- variety, mm-hmm. Um there was a concept, how did this come up in conversation? You and I were talking one day and you ran through this this tool that yes. I really, it's one of these things that when you think about it, it's like, that seems obvious to me. Right. But it's not. But it's not. And that is coaching yourself. Yes. Right? And I, I am hesitant to use the word coaching. I've, I've had some bristling at it for a while now. I think because um, one, you run into like coaches who coach coaches who coach coaches, and it's like coaches all the way down. There's a lot of like coach multi- inception. The, yeah, the coachception. There's a lot of like multi-level marketing to it. Yes. Um, and there's also the fact that, like there are limits to coaching. Right? right. This is a conversation I had with another friend the other day. Is like, I like pulling the analogy of coaching from sports because some really fantastic coaches are not good practitioners. Right. right? Right. So, you know, Chuck Knoll is the example I like to go to. Sure. Uh, you know, he was probably the best Steelers coach ever, and was a pretty mediocre player on the Browns, right. a very mediocre football team, like right. an objectively bad football team, right. if we're honest, in um, an awful city, in a terrible city. But it's not Detroit. It's not Detroit. But right. it's not Detroit. Um, one of the things that my friend pointed out was that we can go a step further with the analogy from sports and. We have to understand, too, like there are limits to coaching, right? Sure. Some people turn to coaching as like this panacea, and it's it's not. But one of the huge advantages that I see to coaching, both in the people who I've hired to be trusted advisors and the people with whom I work, because that's a big chunk of my own job, is directly coaching people. Sure. Is this ability to kind of like step apart from yourself right. or step apart from the situation and say – well, have you tried X? And often I'll find with a lot of my clients and even to myself when I'm working with, whether it's like a digital strategy coach or a copywriting coach or whatever it might be, it's like, oh, that seems obvious now that you said it. But you never actually have that ability to, it's difficult to inculcate that ability to step apart and say, what are the obvious things that I'm missing? So you have this concept where it's like, I can do a coaching call with myself, right? And do you want to run through that? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I don't know how this
1: came to me. I've I've had um, I've had a number of different thoughts like this. Kind of when you're at the edge of being awake and falling asleep, every once in a while you come up with a really good idea when you've been thinking of something. It's actually it's like those notepads you have in the shower. That's right. Shower thoughts. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Uh, I get those when I'm right at the edge of. No. It's an incredible time to have them, but I have a notebook next to my bed oh, for okay. this very reason. Okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's actually—I don't know if we ever talked about this. This is how I named my tech company. I had all of these. What was your tech company name? Nav Explore.
0: Nav Explorer. Yeah. Okay. And this yeah. was this the one that the guy stole? The idea the guy stole, and now he's like, yeah, uh, not oh, exactly. Okay. <laughs> I'm not going to go that far. But um, in any case, yeah. So I, I um, was in a
1: very stressful. Um, kind of stretched season with a lot of um, demands on my time and feeling very overwhelmed. And um, I I think this came about because I had heard you, Zach, do some coaching calls uh, and, you know, overheard some of the advice that you were giving people and thought, wow, that's really good advice. Um, While I was falling asleep, I I had the thought, I should do this with myself. And um, the, the basic idea is you spend so much time in the whirlwind of everything that's going on with your life, uh, and you you rarely s- take a step back and say, "Okay, what should I actually do here?" You just kind of do right. right, right. You're, you're stuck in your
0: whirlwind. Whatever of stuff comes, whatever comes and, to you after a perfunctory period of reflection or analysis. It, exactly, exactly. Which is usually something that's just like a habit. Right. Or anything right. Else. Um,
1: but I but I had the thought um, if I were giving. If I were looking at somebody who was in my situation and giving them advice, I immediately know what I would tell that person to do, right? Mm-hmm. But it's just that that t- taking a step back and saying what what that's that's really the question that I found to be the hack here. What is the advice that I would give somebody who is in my exact situation mm-hmm. if I were coaching them? Mm-hmm. So you're effectively having a coaching call with yourself, right. um, and it's it's a remarkably uh, simple but effective technique so in in my situation um that that advice is often take a step back from the actual work and spend half an hour working on the business as opposed to working in the business
0: and can you for people who aren't familiar with that phrasing because that's like a very if if you're in like the business world that's a very specific kind of phrasing. it means like a very specific kind of thing you want to get your business to a place where you're working on it where you're not working in it e Revisited kind of stuff. Yeah, absolutely. But someone who's not familiar with that, what, what do you mean by that?
1: So um, working on the business is looking at, okay, what is what is my total world of um, responsibilities right now? What are all of the different tasks that I have? So for me, this, this generally um, means uh, look over my calendar for the next week. And, and you work in acquisitions for a private equity fund. Uh, right, exactly. Um, looking through my deal pipeline, um to see if there are any important dates that are coming up and then looking at my project management software to see what are the highest priority tasks right now. Um, and it's amazing how often that's really what's needed is a step back to work on the business, meaning you know looking at um, the sum totality of my world of stuff as
0: opposed to working in the business, which is actually doing the work of the business. So would you draw would you make this analogous to You've got a block of marble, and you're a sculptor working on a business <laughs> <laughs> for whatever reason. Not immediately, but <laughs> this, this is the analogy that came to my mind. I, this is the analogy I really like in like personal development, mm-hmm. right? Um, there, there's some you know images on the internet. I don't know if they're actually famous paintings or not. Of like a sculpture sculpting itself, yeah. right? And that's kind of how I think of personal development is. You are the sculptor, and you are the sculpture. Sure, right. Sure. Um, oh, that's good. But but separate from that, and that's more in the personal development vein than like the professional development vein. Would you make this analogous to you're working on a sculpture? When you're working on the sculpture, let's say you're sculpting um, like a, a human form, right? right? And you're sculpting like the knee, right? Sure. And there, there's a specific way that like knees are shaped, and how you would sculpt a knee, which right. is a an odd body part for me to choose, but uh, it's it's one of the least. No oh, knees are very aesthetic. Um, taking a step back and actually looking at what is the thing that you're actually sculpting and right. how should you approach sculpting right. it? Would, is that a proper analogy? I think so. You know, as
1: opposed to hammer and chisel in hand and right, going right. at the knee, and going like, going at yeah, the, yeah, exactly, yeah exactly. A couple
0: of inches that are the knee, right?
1: And that's not always um, that's not always the advice that I would give myself. Sometimes you know that's if. If I were an objective third-party observer looking at someone in my current situation, that would be the advice that I would give. Take half an hour, um, shut your phone off, turn off all of the interwebs, um, and take a look at what is your world of stuff. Um, and that's kind of what's what's needed. That's, that's the piece of advice that I would give. Other times, um, it's very clear that I've confused the... Oh my goodness... We're live on Instagram. We're going live. Added pressure. We're going go live. Um, other times, it's not working on the business. There's one task that kind of rises to the top of the hierarchy after I take that, um, that sort of mental step back where it's, oh, what's really going to drive... Um, you know, a given deal forward is X action or something like that, right? And the, the question that I really like there, and I don't remember where I got this because as you mentioned, I read a lot of this kind of thing is if you were about to go on vacation for two weeks and couldn't touch any of your stuff for the duration of that two weeks... You are about to go on vacation. And I am about to go on vacation, yeah. So this question is very pertinent. But there's something about that question that really gets your mind going in the right direction. But if you were about to go on vacation for two weeks and couldn't touch any of your stuff for the duration of that two weeks, what is the one task that you would... Uh, that you would want to accomplish before taking that vacation. Mm -hmm. Um, And I don't know why that works so well, but that really kind of uh, cuts out the noise of the urgent and gets you to focus on what's truly important. One of the
0: things that you and I have talked about repeatedly is uh, this Eisenhower matrix that's popular from The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Right. Uh, It's a two-by-two matrix, which I very much enjoy, uh, that includes urgent and not urgent, important and not important. Right. You know... It's kind of a management tool. The things that are urgent and important are the things you need to do right now. Right. The things that are urgent but not important, you delegate them away. The things that are important but not urgent, you schedule, and the things that are neither important nor urgent, you try to get rid of. Right. 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 Uh, And that's only helpful, though, if you can actually put things in, like, different quadrants. Right. Absolutely. If everything falls in urgent and important, it's like, okay, that's not particularly helpful. Absolutely. Absolutely. one of the things you and I have discussed is I... Nine times out of ten, I think that if everything's falling in urgent and important, you're making that decision wrong. Right. Right. There are some people right. for whom their opportunity cost is so high and the specific set mm. of things that they do are so heavily specialized and valuable mm. that everything is urgent and important. Sure. Right. They can't delegate it away. Right. Because it's a highly skilled thing that just right. absolutely needs to get done. And you can't live there for a long time. No, you can't. You, you have to. Right. You, right. If you do, then your business collapses. Right, right? Right. Um, you're the baker who's but, baking all of the cakes right, instead absolutely. of running the but business. But
1: there can be, as we've discussed, seasons or periods of time um, as a result of, you know, for me, deal flow or something like that, where there are a lot of things that are both urgent and important, and that's where all-nighters live, right? Right, right, right. Um, but, but the, again, the point is, you, you can't live there. Right.
0: Yeah. Uh, so this could be a way for actually figuring out what is urgent and important versus urgent but not important right. or not urgent and but important right, right? absolutely like i think uh, for people who are particularly work prone like you and myself right. uh the temptation is to put everything in urgent and important right but things more often actually fall in urgent but not important right 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 or honestly just not urgent and not important right right so yeah i think um
1: prioritization is a skill that is it's not talked about enough, and I, I think that's really what I've seen separate um, like high achievers from people that are just kind of good at their jobs. Oh, I think right?
0: it's I think it's in that um, organized tomorrow. Today it is. Book, that's what I was about to like reference. Like yeah, the the most effective people don't get everything done; they get the most important
1: things on a consistent, done basis. On a consistent right. basis. Right, right. But yeah. But and before
0: could... Before we go too far into that kind of thing, sure. I, I want to step back to more like this meta point sure. of having a coaching conversation with yourself. Yes. So you're talking to someone who's just overwhelmed with work. Right. Right. And they just say, I, everything, everything I have to do right now is both urgent and important. Sure. How do they step away from the situation, especially if they believe everything is urgent, which mm. means they believe they have to get into it right now. Right. And actually delineate between the urgent and the not urgent, the important and the not important. And that's where I think the
1: distinction between working in the business and working on the business is really important. Um, I, I think it it just it just is important. Particularly in that situation, it is so important to spend just half an hour. Like, there's nothing short of something that's life threatening that can't wait half an mm-hmm. hour, right? Mm-hmm. So take half an hour and just spend spend time looking at. Wherever your world of stuff lives, and it needs to live somewhere, that's really important. If this so is like all in your head, Trello it's a
0: Trello board or a CRM. We or use Noseby, um, Slack, Google Exactly, Calendar. anything like I've, that. I've got right. my sticky notes. Right,
1: Zach right. and his sticky notes. Um, he's an old person and likes analog. Um, I, I do like <laughs>
0: for someone who works so much with people in technology. I'm actually pretty te- anti-technology. Yeah, I'm, <laughs> I'm the same thing with notes on pen and paper. But um, so figure
1: out where your world lives, and you know that's sort of a higher level conversation. It needs to live somewhere. If this is all in your head, get it out of your head first. Play, mm-hmm. First uh, step, but um, and spend time looking at your stuff. And just begin to look at your world of things through that lens. Okay, if this were someone else, mm-hmm. what would I tell them to work on, mm-hmm. given what I'm looking in, at? And right somebody now.
0: else, in whose success you are invested. Absolutely, right? absolutely. Like that's an important point as right. well. Right, It's one thing to just offer advice. It's another to actually, you know, Talib would call this "skin in the game," right. or just right. Jordan Peterson would say this is just somebody for whom you care about. Right, right, right. Um, like this is one of the things why with my clients, I like to offer them a 110% uh, refund. Hmm. And that, that's something I take from, oh, that's great. from Tim Ferriss where it's that's like, great. okay, if we sit down once a week for a month and you're not getting anything out of these conversations or hmm. these calls, hmm. not only will I give you all of your money back. I will lose something. I will lose something. Yeah, That's so, awesome. So I, I didn't I, know that. I want to be invested in your right. actual success here. Right. So I think that's important as well because- There are lots of... Like, talk is cheap, right? Right, absolutely. But actually being invested in the outcome of the individual is really important. Right, right. Um, No, I I had numerous moments this past weekend. I had a particularly stressful weekend that was... I mean, you heard some of my conversations on the (laughs) phone last week. (laughs) They were... What 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 was it that you said? You said... um, who are you being cross with? And I told you. And then you said, remind me to never make you angry. And it's quite dip- You sounded most unpleasant. It's, it's actually very difficult to make me angry, um, believe it or not. Yeah. Uh, but I was, I was very, very unpleasant towards a particular individual. A particular yes. individual I like, too. Sure. So, like, that that's made it particularly worse. But I had a particularly stressful weekend. It was one of these things where it was, like, back to back to back to back. Everything felt urgent and important. Right. And at one point, I'm talking to someone to whom I've expressed this idea, and I'm like, "Yeah, I I don't know what to make decision wise here." And he says to me, "He's like, well, what would you tell someone that Mm. you're you're coaching?" Mm -hmm. I was like, "Was that me?" No, it wasn't you. Ah, it was someone else. But it was a really good and important question, right? Um, Getting and it's amazing you you know the answers, you know.
1: And it's it's just that that little mental step back, and I don't know why this works. This I, I used this yesterday um, for something that wasn't even important. I was just um, it was Sunday. I wanted to do something that was like restful and you know taking care of myself, and investing in me, and all of those other fun millennial terms. Um, you and wanted I, to enjoy the Sabbath. That's right. That's your, right. To use, to use my verbiage. terms. Yes, yes. That's right. <laughs> um, and I I just stopped and asked what. What I actually enjoy doing right now? Mm. And just that—just mm. asking mm. that question instead of just not doing anything. It's so
0: amazing that we don't stop and ask those kinds of questions. Stepping separate from like, the, the professional development side of this and like, the management theory side of this, because I do think this is actually really helpful for, mm-hmm. if you're going to be a manager of actual people, you need to train them. Right. And you need to be invested in their success because right. if they are subordinates to whom you're delegating stuff, hmm. if they succeed, that means there's more time taken off of your plate. Right. right? If you're doing right. delegation properly. Right. Uh, this is why I've never really understood managers who are skeptical of their own subordinates. Hmm. Unless they're just very insecure because hmm. it's like, if your subordinates are doing a good job, they should actually be freeing you time. Sure. And they should be reflecting well on you. Right. Uh, but... I've used this – I didn't use this phrasing, but I've used this tool anytime I find myself putzing around on social media for long periods of time. Right. Ever since I got on social media, you know what, probably like six years ago, uh, if I found myself at one point, you know, it was where I would scroll through Facebook, check my email, and check Twitter for two hours at a time. Right. Right. And you look at the clock, and it's like two hours have gone by. And you know this is bad for you. And you know it's bad for you, right? right? But there's momentum, actually, in the activity. So actually taking a step back and being like, if I were talking to someone in whose success I was invested, (laughs) would I advise them cuts around on Facebook? No. In fact, I would tell them, like, get off Facebook almost completely. Right. Maybe stay on there for a few specific reasons, but be very strategic about it. But we never do this with ourselves. right? And why do you think it is that people... Don't take this step back. I think it's because it's not natural, right? We're, we,
1: the role of the impartial observer, is one that we have, you know, the unique ability as human beings to to take, but it's still not the natural. What step, is natural, right? It, just living your life, right? Just carrying on with what you're doing. Hmm. Um, to actually stop and ask the question, like, what what would I enjoy doing right now? You know, as a restful day, or what what would be the most Productive use of my time right now. See, I'm
0: not sure I buy that. Okay, because, because I think that for like such an extended period of time, what's natural is where does my next meal come from? Uh, how do I pass my genes on? And how do I not get <laughs> mauled by sure like a lion or sure or poisoned by a snake? Right? Um, you know, yeah. The the lion, the natural predator predators idea that gets knocked out a couple thousand years ago when we develop agriculture. Uh, But then it becomes like, where's my next meal coming from? Where's food coming from? And and the other F, you know, how am I going to pass on my genes? Right. Right. And it seems to me that this kind of like stagnation that people condition themselves into or are conditioned into, although I don't like that phrasing because it... Removes agency. Removes agency and it sounds like victimhood language. Right. I think that's a pretty recent thing. I can't imagine people... You know When they're living at subsistence levels And trust me, I'm not saying we, we should be living at subsistence levels Sure I'm Not like some sort of anarcho-primitivist But I, I, I think that That's closer to the natural way of things Sure So this is a relatively recent thing
1: what, The ability to step back and
0: No, no, no the, the, or... the inability to do so Because you know, you're, you're trying to find food on the plane You have to step back to make sure you're not being like chased by a lion hmm. Right? Hmm. you have to be careful of watching where you're walking so you don't step on a stake hmm. right
1: yeah i i agree with you i guess i don't i'm not looking at that as a as a step back so much as just like a fight or flight kind of response hmm. um hmm. maybe yeah. i just maybe i, I just
0: I see wristle, what you mean. maybe i just at your use of the word natural um hmm because I, I would defer more to, like, the evolutionary perspective. Yeah, like, I, everything I understand we think what you mean. Is, Everything I, we think is normal sure, is not. Sure, sure. Right?
1: Yeah, I, and I agree with you there. I guess what I'm saying is in assuming modernity, it's, it's natural often to just get caught in your whirlwind of stuff mm. and not actually take a step back and mm. say, what should I do in this? I mean, even if it's just what should I do in this situation... Um, we don't we don't think to go there you know but i've um i've caught myself giving advice to people and i think this is another factor that played into how this advice came about um or how i sort of developed this maxim is i've ca- i found myself giving advice to someone who was in a similar situation that I was in and I thought wow that's actually like I should do that too you know so like why why was I capable of giving this advice to someone else but not capable of giving it to myself and I noticed it was because I wasn't taking that step back in my own life and saying what should I do in this situation what's the advice I would give someone in this situation that I cared about
0: and I think on the other side of things too there's also this danger of being to i I don't even want to say it's a danger because it that implies that what you're talking about this is an implication of it but I think that especially if you're a particularly work oriented person, you don't want to be stuck in analysis mode all the time mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. And I do think there's a very strong case to be made that people are people are more action oriented animals right. than analysis or analysis oriented sure uh, and that people will stick in an analysis state for a very long period of time yeah. because of conditioning, largely through their childhood, I would say largely through the institution of schooling. Of course you would. Well, Not, not to say that it's a panacea <laughs> if we got rid of schools, but I think that if we considerably reform the school system, the world would be a considerably much better place. Sure. Um, like, not just considerably better, but a considerably much better place. I agree. Uh, but there's this danger here, right, that you get stuck in this position of like, watching
1: yourself. And that's not at all what I'm advocating. I think it's a really important point, actually. And I think that this type of thinking actually promotes action rather than hinders it. Because I think when you're caught in your world of stuff, often it's not a flurry of activity. It's actually... Kind of a state of paralysis because there's just overwhelm, right? Right. So you end up putzing around face around on Facebook rather than doing anything productive because you feel stuck. Right. So mm.
0: taking a step back, So overwhelm is a good word to use. Ab- Absolutely. Yeah. Right.
1: Right. And that's really where I found this to be mo- most helpful. When I'm in, when I'm personally in a state of overwhelm, I tend to not be able to make meaningful progress on anything mm. because I'm so concerned with what are all the things that I'm not doing right. So everything kind of slips. Exactly. So yeah. it's in that state that I. Uh, Uh, that I'm able to assert kind of you know ego power and say uh, and I mean ego in the Freudian sense not in the popular sense Um, okay what would I tell someone to do in the situation and that it's in that state where I would often say take half an hour Get a a grip on your whole world of stuff. Pick the most important thing that, you know, this is what you would accomplish if you were about to go on vacation.
0: And then attack. And don't worry about anything else. Okay, so this is all really nice and logical sounding. But let's say you're in a state of overwhelm. And it's emotional overwhelm. Sure. Yeah, so I actually,
1: I mean, I was going to bring this up. I'm glad you mentioned that. So a couple of weeks ago, that happened. And it, it was just... It was truly paralyzing. I mean, I felt like I was going to have a panic now, Emotional
0: again. emotional overwhelms hard. It's you know? real. It's, like, it's yeah, like yeah. It's like things are going shitty at work. Things are going shitty in your relationship. Sure. Things are going shitty in your family. Sure. This is marked as explicit on iTunes. So <laughs> you can <laughs> say fine. the word cuss. I, I yeah. will happily say the word <laughs> shitty. Um, Josh, when he wants to swear, says cuss. Uh, I he called me earlier, ah, asked cuss. what I was doing for dinner. Uh, <laughs> I said I already eat, had eaten, and he just said cuss. Oh. <laughs> This is—it's
1: it, remarkably
0: cathartic. <laughs> yes, it also makes s- people also saying shit is also remarkably cathartic <laughs> as well. Uh, but you know things are going really poorly, and it's it's hard to take a step back and sure. say, okay, if I were talking to somebody that I cared about and in whose success I was invested what would I tell them, and you're just, you just like want to break down.
1: Yeah, so this is actually a really important point. A couple of things. I'm going to go esoteric, and then I'm going to go really practical. So on a, at an esoteric level, when you're in that state, you're in what's called limbic overload. So basically, um, the hippocampus has taken in information and sent it to the amygdala, which is the oldest part of the brain that controls fight-or-flight response. Um or in cloth and pitch anything calls this the reptilian brain. So you're actually in the wrong part of your brain to be able to access high level decision making which is what you need in this state
0: try not to slam your hands. i'm down.
1: sorry i'm no. italian and i talk with my hands so i'll try to uh no, i'm sure i'm sure
0: you thought i was reaching across the table to hold your hand so <laughs> because you looked very uncomfortable i did there. yeah for a moment you reached at my no, hand I, was I, thought, to, I was trying we to where are going with this i was trying to boundaries keep your hand from hitting the table which the
1: microphone picks up as particularly loud. So. Okay, so in any case, um, you're in the wrong part of the brain. This is where panic attacks happen. So, Have you um, ever had a panic attack? Uh, not a full-fledged one, although I did have kind of a, a freaky incident on a plane once. They're terrifying.
0: Yeah, have you? I, I've, I've seen people have them. Okay. And I've... I think I've come close. Okay. Once I had a—that's about where I am. I had a TV interview one day, uh, and I barely slept. And I was back at the airport. I'd barely eaten, and I just Glenn Beck. Yeah, this was the Glenn Beck interview. Yeah, this was back in 2013. Um, Okay. I was at the Dallas airport waiting to depart back to Philadelphia, and I just felt very sick. Right. Like my hands got clammy. I I hadn't eaten all day. Right. And I just had to go to the bathroom. Right. To to get away from everything, and Hmm. I thought I was going to throw up. I Hmm. thought, you know. Other bodily functions were going to happen, and nothing <laughs> happened. I was like, "Okay, this is really weird." And I right. we realized it was probably like a very nascent panic attack. Right. right. Well, so what you can do in the situation where you're in you're in
1: limbic overload, meaning you're in a very emotionally heightened state, um, what you actually want to do is adopt the role of a curious uh, observer. So when you say, "Pomp, huh, that's interesting," like my hands are getting numb, or whatever the symptom is, or like, "Wow, I'm breathing really heavily." All of the sudden, you've been bounced into the prefrontal cortex, which is where higher-level thought processes happen. So you may not feel better immediately, um, but now you're in an observer role as mm. opposed she, she just to just observing something that's physically or, happening in right, your body. Right, right, okay. right. Yeah. So you want to do that even with emotional mm. states. But I was in this. So again, um, and part part of this is because I've um, read quite a bit about um, psychology, but. I know the answer to this question, but taking a step back and, and saying what is the advice that I would give someone who were in an emotionally overwhelmed situation, it would be... Take, take a the step ro- back. Exactly. Right. Take right. a
0: couple of deep, deep breaths. Think about this for a moment. Absolutely. And then make the decision. Control your breathing. Yeah. yeah, all of that yeah, sort yeah, of yeah, thing.
1: Yeah. And in this particular case... Uh, and I have the ability to do this. I recognize not everyone does, but it was like three p.m. and I said, you know what? If this were someone else and they were in this situation, I would say go work out and then come back. Yeah, so that's what I did. Yeah, uh, I left work. I went to the gym. I lifted some heavy weights. Um, that releases a cocktail of endorphins and makes you feel
0: generally better. And then I came back to work have and I read the later. book um, Why Zebras Don't Get Ulcers. No, it's really good. It was recommended mm. to me about about a year ago to this mm. day. Um. And I was, I was having a conversation with somebody about how, you know, Peter Thiel has this famous question, what's one very important truth you believe that very few people agree with you all right. on? Right. Um, I've got a couple. Uh, one, when it comes to, like, personal beliefs, and, you know, this is recorded, and I'm I'm willing to broadcast this, is that the vast majority of uh, clinical mental issues stem from things related to things like self-esteem. Hmm. Uh, not. I'm not saying that they don't exist, right? I'm not saying that... Uh, physically they don't exist, say, in the brain. But I, I'm saying that there is a a primary component, that they are a secondary component of something that comes from a primary component, sure. right? So, like, you have continuously low self-esteem, which might be in part of your own conditioning, might be in part of the situations that you were thrown into as part of your upbringing, right? right. And that puts your brain in a certain kind of state, whether a depressive state, whether a fight-or-flight state, floods your body with cortisol, floods your body with different um, neurotransmitters and different hormones. And that eventually has a physical effect on the on the physiological structures of your brain. Sure. Right? Which then results in things like bipolar disorder right. in particular, uh, maybe very light forms of, of schizophrenia, sure. things like that. Uh, clinical depression's another one, right? And I think a, a big part of this is the ability to separate oneself from the situation because when we think about what the phrase self-esteem is and I I haven't been talking about him a lot in the last couple years but he's one of the most influential thinkers on my way of thinking Nathaniel Um, Brandon Nathaniel Brandon Brandon. Um, I came across Brandon probably 2012 or 2013 I think he's Ayn Rand's work done well um, and applied (laughs) to well. and when I say that I'm not saying that Ayn Rand did, did her work poorly but what I'm saying is that if you look at objectivists and you look at Ayn Rand, I know very few objectivists are, like, happy, friendly people, <laughs> right? <laughs> Most unfunny people. On Most the unfunny. <laughs> I made that a joke about that too. some objectivists, and they just stared at me. And I was like, see, you're <laughs> you proving my point. my point. You're proving my point. Um, but – and I think Robert Nozick makes the same kind of point where it's, like, a philosophy that doesn't actually – provide you with the tools to live a better life, and you don't have to be happy-go-lucky all the time, like, it's probably not a particularly great one to apply. Sure. Now, I'm not saying that objectivism doesn't apply that. However, I think that applied properly, it's Nathaniel Brandon's psychotherapy work. Mm. And, you know, he was part of Rand's cadre, so that makes sense, right? But he talks about self-esteem as, very literally, the idea of how do you esteem yourself? Right. Like, if you knew somebody who was Joshua Fisher, right. how what would, would you, you esteem think of, of him? him? Yeah. Right. And actually, it's it's an
1: interesting question, because I would esteem him much higher than I esteem myself. Right, right. 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 And when you see that disparity, it's like, huh, sure, maybe I have lower self-esteem than I ought to have. Sure. Sure. And I think that that brings me to another point that I want to discuss here. So, as I mentioned, um, generally, we have the answers to what the issues of our situation require, Right. This um, isn't like some secret bullshit. No, right? not at all, not at all. I, I mean, um, I
0: can't. Speak you're for you're everyone. starting to sound like New Agey campy. That's but, not. You know.
1: That's not what I mean. I don't mean like the secrets are within you or anything like that. I mean, it, in many cases, for your audience, you've read the material that would apply to your oh, situation. Yeah, yeah, like you yeah. literally have good advice right. for someone in your situation. Right but you're not following it. So this creates cognitive dissonance, right? Tony Robbins talks about this. It's one of my favorite things that he talks about, actually. Um, Like Psychological pain is caused by a disparity between your personal values and the actions that you're actually carrying out. Mm. I think this is an interesting application of that... The conflict, right? Right, exactly. I think this is an interesting application of that um, premise. So when you have good advice um, because you've read it, or because it's common sense, or you have observed it. it, or whatever, exactly, but you're not actually following that good advice in this situation. You're creating psychological pain, and you don't even know why it's there, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, so by taking this step back, you can actually identify what is the disparity between the good advice or good common sense that I know, and what my actions are currently, and you can bridge that gap intentionally, because you've You've actually imposed some intentionality around your current situation mm. instead
0: of just going on living your life. Mm. Does that make sense? That does make sense. Less secrety than. Less secret I initially, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not like you put a picture of the house you want to buy. And no, that's just, not what I mean at all. You'll just that's fall into I mean a deed for right. that house, right? <laughs> right. No, right. Um, no that, that, that does make sense. I will say, I think one of the values of having somebody who is trained in this kind of stuff and does it all the time. And is knowledgeable about very specific things, right? So, like I have, right? I have someone who, for like lack of a better word, I guess you could call a life coach. Sure. And then I also have like a digital strategy coach uh, who's just a very well read in digital strategy, right? sure. Uh, and someone who is a copywriting coach who's just like very well read in copywriting, much more experienced than myself, is not just that ability to like remove you from the situation, but also say, okay, I'm going to put X resource in front of you, right? If, if you knew somebody who had that resource in front of them, how would they use it, mm. right? Mm. Removing you from the situation. Right. And also imposing a cost if you choose to ignore it. Right. Because I think that is the other thing. I will see people, particularly um, ambitious people, particularly uh, people who have been through elite higher education or elite education generally. I think elite K-12 through 12 is potentially much more dangerous than elite higher ed. Uh, they will... They have a very difficult time, even if they they do what you and I have been talking about for like the last half hour. They have a difficult time actually applying it. And I think this is where the point of actually having a cost associated to these things matters. Absolutely, where absolutely. If you actually have, you know, you pay a thousand dollars to talk to a specific person, it's like, well, fuck. Now I have a thousand dollars. I have to go apply. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, well, well, cuss. Now right. I have a thousand dollars. I have to go apply. Right? That's what I would say. Yes. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah,
1: I totally agree. Um, and I, I'm not at all saying that there's no value in actual coaching because there are people that have different strategies, um, the ability to get you into different states um, where the 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 true third-party advice is very, very helpful. What I'm saying is in a lot of cases, you already know what you should do. Right. You're just not taking the initial step of saying, what should I do? Right. You're just stuck in do your mess. Do you really mess.
0: know what you should do or is it... An idea that's in, like, the ether of your mind. Like, what does it mean to actually know what you should do?
1: I'm not sure I'm seeing the distinction there.
0: So I, I think that people, you read a lot, right? Sure. You go through 12 years of school. You potentially go through 16, 18, 20 years of school. You pick up a lot of information. Right. And there's information say that you might read in a book that you read it and you're like, oh well, I knew that, but you don't right. actually think about that. Sure, on a daily exactly, basis, right? exactly,
1: exactly. And I think I think this simple tool is a way of getting it out of the ether and into your actual mm.
0: consciousness. Is what mm. I mean, you know. Mm. Um, so if you're setting up a program to train a subordinate, which you might have to do, sometime. I may have to do soon. How would you train them in doing this? Because again. You want them to actually come to you so you can teach them when necessary, when you should actually teach them. There's a sure. the difference between teaching and coaching. Sure. I think good coaches can be both. Absolutely. Um, but a, a someone who is solely a coach does not necessarily teach. They right. get you to the position, they ask right. the right questions right. so that you can solve these questions yourself. Sure. Right? And someone who's a teacher does not necessarily coach, right? A good teacher and a fantastic coach. Combines both elements. Hmm. So you're setting up a program for somebody, right? Um, a subordinate. How would you teach them to, to take the step back and to know when they should actually come to you hmm. or come to
1: others? So I think I would say take, take the step back. When you're, when you're in a situation, ask yourself, what advice would I give if I were giving advice to someone who's in this situation? And then just write down what comes to your mind. And there are certainly instances where it, the answer to that question requires specific knowledge that I might have as a superior and they may, may not have as someone who's greener than me. And whatever So look for that specific knowledge. Exactly, okay. exactly. So I so would, would say, you say
0: they, they, they think through this. Sure. They remove themselves as kind of like the Smithian impartial observer, right? Right. And they think through it. And right. they get to a place where it's like, okay – I know the decision I would make if I had X information. Right. However, I, I don't, don't have, have X information. Right. 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 So I need to go retrieve it. Right. That's the point at which I need to approach exactly. somebody else. Exactly. Exactly.
1: And I so that that's I think the heuristic is if it's if it's skill related and you don't have the skill. Okay. Then go approach someone else. Right. Skill or
0: highly specialized knowledge. Exactly. Right? Exactly. Okay. That makes sense.
1: But I think and and you know I think time management is certainly a skill, right? But it's something for me personally, I've read a ton in this area, so I generally know what is the correct course of action in this situation. It's just a matter of doing it, right? Mm. I think it's Derek Sivers that said, um, if, if the answer were more information, we would all be billionaires with perfect ads, right? Tax, right, right, right? right. Um, that's almost never the situation. We all, we can go on the internet and Read how to get perfect abs, and well, read how people have are gotten actually a billion dollars. Quite unpleasant to so. have. <laughs>
0: I think there's a story here. <laughs> <laughs> there's plenty of stories here. Um, no, yeah, there, there's a cost imposed to apply things. There's also a cost imposed to retrieve that information, though, right. as well. Right. And so, if a subordinate comes to you trying to retrieve information, they not only have to sacrifice their time to come to you and right. sit you down and say, "Mr. Fisher, I need X point," right? right. They also have to take some of your time. Right. Right. And I think that when people set up management or training programs, they make that perceived cost so high or so low mm. that either their subordinates come to them with every single question, right? right? It's like, okay, you right. can Google it, right? And like when when I was uh, running business development at Praxis, one of the first things we taught people was Google is your friend, hmm. right? Like I remember talking to hmm. a friend of mine, uh, Jeremy McClellan, he's now a significant comedian but he worked for the the city government of Charleston which is probably not a good example because he's a city city government employee in right. Charleston which is particularly incompetent but he was able to ascend through the ranks by just knowing how to use Google mm. right uh, but at the other end it's like okay things are so costly i don't want to go ask mr fisher because sure. i'm afraid either he's not going to take me seriously i mean you and i have talked about this in our own situations right sure. where it's like well, if i go talk to so and so I might get this information, but what if they perceive me as less competent? Sure. Right? Or even sure. just in asking for help.
1: Yeah, and I think that's really, there's no hard and fast rule there because I think you're absolutely right. In, um, in the first instance, I can, I as the superior can now be in a position where I don't have the ability to get any of my own work done because someone is taking up all of my time, right? And I think a lot of that can come from improper um setting of expectations at the beginning of a relationship, or Mm -hmm. if someone doesn't feel that they actually have ownership around their, um, whatever their business line is, or whatever their responsibility is, where they don't have the ability to make any decisions for themselves, and they feel the need to run everything by a superior, so I think that can actually drive a lot of that issue, or the other way around, where um, the lines of communication are severed or very, very difficult because such high costs have been imposed. and
0: right. It's kind of a fine dance there. This is one of the arguments I have against remote work and remote hmm. teams. I think it depends on the type of product and it depends on the type of team. Uh, what, as in, like, what the team is developing. But I used to be very bullish on remote teams and I worked on several of them. And I was like, okay, it might just be me. Which There's a significant chance it's just me. Sure, yeah. But a More extroverted person. There is this extra cost to transmitting information between people if right. I actually have to sit down at Slack and type it to somebody right right or if I have right. to type it over email or, it's harder or, or text messaging I mean I will say the teams I've worked with where their chat platform is just iMessage sure tend to do much better hmm. they tend to be much more cohesive hmm. I think because it's like it, 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 there's a lower perceived social cost to engaging in this I mean what do you guys use do you use, Slack? use Slack you use Slack uh, Okay. I was, I, was, I was expecting. question? I was expecting some sort of. Um,
1: yeah. No. We use Slack. I, from, I think from your experience. Sure. Yeah. I think your point is valid. I mean, it, it's. I think I think Slack um, and other systems like that can be a great replacement for some. Um, hey, can I grab you for a minute type of things. But right. I think the danger...
0: It's a great replacement for the the open
1: office. Sure. Right? Like absolutely. I hate open office absolutely. concepts. Absolutely. And I think it's a great replacement for internal email, obviously. Mm. Um, but I think there are some things, and I think it's easy to take this too far, um, particularly when you're trying to be very cutting-edge and really utilize technology, there can be a tendency to want to say, like, hey, don't talk to me. Put it on Slack. And the reality is um, you need to delegate and trust your people to be able to make the judgment call. This needs to be a conversation, Mm -hmm. right? There are some things that just need to be a conversation. They can't easily be distilled into writing.
0: Um, It needs to be a a back-and-forth between two people. So, yeah, I agree with you. So the other way or the other area of life where somebody could apply this concept that I would love to hear your thoughts on is the other well now that's on the recording sorry <laughs> I, was, I was putting it off no no that's that's on the recording edit it out uh no i think it'll just go up with it <laughs> and, you know very candid conversation right soon i'm sorry i had to blow um, my nose Josh is the uh, is known oh, around his office as the gracious. what the healthiest sick person or the sickest uh, healthy person. That one, yeah. The sickest awful. healthiest person. I don't want to. I don't want to speak know. that over myself. Um, but how does one apply this in interpersonal relationships, especially romantic relationships? <laughs> stuff is going to shit, right? And you're getting frustrated, and you're like, "I don't." I'm going to say something particularly yeah. nasty, right? I mean, right. I've done this. Yeah, I've I've ruined. I I potentially ruined like very fantastic relationships because I don't take that moment to take a step back and think like is this a stupid thing to say yes should I say it no right Right? yeah I think it's the same
1: exact heuristic I think it's um, taking a step back and saying what's the advice I would give someone someone in this situation and Um, it's just amazing. That gives you so much mental space. I
0: feel like people don't know what advice they would give, especially in these kinds of relationships, though, especially in romantic relationships. I
1: think you do. I think if you had a friend who was in this situation, you know what you would tell them. Mm -hmm. And again... I think what you said earlier is important. Yours might not be the only advice that you would consider, right? But often you don't consider your own advice, your own advice at all. Mm. I'm sorry, we're almost entirely through this bottle of wine, and I'm starting to stutter a bit. No, this I is a delicious
0: bottle of wine, everyone. I, I think that you are rather coherent, but <laughs> maybe not now. Now I've got another section I have edit out of the conversation, so that everyone knows this that is Josh lovely. is
1: this is character. Yeah. Um, no. So again. Um, I think often you don't even consider your own advice. You immediately go to the advice of other people, or you don't go to any advice at all. I think either is an error. But it's just the simple concept of taking a step back and saying, what would I tell a friend who was in this situation, in this romantic relationship? And you you always have something, right? Um, But that just doesn't come out when it's yourself. Mm. You don't take that step generally to say, what should I do?
0: It's you just do. Right? I, think, I think this, this is uh, a very obvious tool in the case where somebody is in a shitty relationship. Right, absolutely. Right? Absolutely. Because, because people you generally, good friends will generally tell you or right. at least know. Right. right? Um, yeah. Mm. It's interesting that the comparison between the two here, the business relationship and the romantic relationship. I was listening to an episode of um, a spinoff podcast from This Week in Startups. It's now called Just Angel. Uh, with Jason Calacanis, who I made a joke on Twitter one day about the fact that Jason Calacanis was polling his Twitter followers about whether or not we should like intervene in North Korea, and <laughs> I was like, well, you know, you know, Jason Calacanis is talking about vaporizing, you know, twenty four million North Koreans, right. so that's nice. Right. He followed me and then tweeted nasty things back at me. <laughs> so I actually very much like him. So I was like, oh, well, now Jason Calacanis is following me, so at least I've got that. It's um, hysterical. But he made the point where too, it's like. When, when people are at a company that they should not be at, whether sure. it's, it's co-founders or just a founder at a company working on a business that they should not be working on, sure, it feels like you're at a family dinner and there are two people there who just hate each other but they're married to each other right. and you know they should divorce each other. Right. It, it'd be best for themselves, it'd be best for everything there, but they don't. Hmm. And. People don't often say something, I think, because they're afraid of the implications Mm. of saying it. Mm. Do you think that there is this fear of the implication of saying it, both in these interpersonal relationships, but also when we are coaching ourselves? Mm. Because if I actually take a step back and look at this situation, I might see I should quit my job. Sure. I might see I should dump my girlfriend. Sure, right. I might see that I should move out of the city I'm living in. Right, right. And those are all very costly realizations to have. Right.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, I think the status quo is, it's almost always easier, right? This is something else Tony Robbins talks about. It's the path of least resistance. Right, right. We change when the present becomes so painful that we can no longer bear it, right? Mm -hmm.
0: Um, And I think often... But again, that's usually death by a thousand cuts. Right,
1: right. Yes, yes. I think it can take a lot longer to get to that realization that this is so painful that I have to change something than it would have to if you had developed this habit of um, taking a step back and looking at a situation from an impartial third-party observer. You wouldn't have to get to this place of, this is excruciating, I have to change something. You would identify that there's a problem earlier, right? right. You can tell that there's a paper cut on your friend because it's bleeding, but they might not pay attention to it themselves, Right. Maybe that's not the perfect analogy. It's not a good analogy. It's not a good analogy. I, um, I would notice a paper cut. Yeah, I paper Okay, not a good analogy. A bad but analogy. But there, there are things that we notice in our friends that they don't notice in themselves. And if we were in their situation, I would posit that we wouldn't notice it in ourselves because we're in the situation instead of observing the situation. Mm-hmm. The other thing that I wanted to mention here, um, I think uh, often one can... Uh, ask advice of other people and often multiple other persons because one wishes to avoid uh, making a decision. Is oneself, this your cabinet right? of pastors? No, not okay. at all. Okay. Well, th- that's an example though. I do have lots of pastor friends and I talk to them about things.
0: I'm but, going to buy cabinetofpastors.com. cabinet of uh, com. Com. You're right. Yes. It's going to be yes. Tinder for finding pastors, <laughs> not, not Tinder for pastors, but Tinder for finding, for finding pastors. So right. Important distinction. Yes. yes.
1: Important distinction. Yes. Um, so a really I th- important distinction, actually. Yes. <laughs> um, but so I, I think often one asks for advice of other people because you don't want to make a decision yourself, right? Okay. So you're asking for advice of someone else not because you want their advice, but because you want to avoid the you want pain avoid the or responsibility. responsibility of making yeah. a decision yourself. Yeah. So you're not making a decision; mm. you're just asking for someone else to make the decision for you, you in the guise of advice. Mm. So what I think this can also do is build. Uh, self reliance, right? Or, or self efficacy, as you like to say. Right. Um, because you're saying, what's the advice I would give myself? And weighing that and recognizing the validity of your own advice instead of immediately defaulting to the advice of other people in uh, your life.
0: Yes. Does that make sense? It does make sense.
1: I hope that wasn't too esoteric, but I think no. it's an important
0: point. And I think that's an important point to end the conversation on. <laughs> Goodbye, friends.